When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here we go. We are off and rolling with Caleb Calhoun. I am Dave Hooker and an absolutely loaded show is big time breaking news in college football as suddenly the Northwestern thing ramped up just in the past 24 hours and Pat Fitzgerald is out. Northwestern is looking for a new coach. Also, the balls at SEC Media Days as we reported, I believe, first Joe Milton, Jacob Horn, and Amari Thomas will be the guys that will be representing Tennessee in Nashville, not Birmingham, the unofficial kickoff of uh, the 2023 season. Also, Joe Milton, fourth-ranked quarterback in the SEC. That seems pretty complimentary to me. Should the Vols be concerned about a Devin Leary, Spencer Rattler, or Carson Beck? They follow up at Joe Milton, or right ahead of Joe Milton, I should say in the rankings, best quarterbacks in the SEC, and the worst coaching jobs in in college football. I say this because Northwestern, and there's a column on offthehooksports.com that Caleb wrote, what are the worst jobs in college football? We would have said Northwestern there, but give Pat Fitzgerald credit for building something and also give them a lot of credit for what they did in terms of facilities. I contend was yesterday that that's a job that gets so big, so fast sometimes that just terrible things like this hazing incident could happen. But let me start with you. How are you, Caleb Calhoun? Pretty good, Dave. How's your another vacation you're on? <laughs> this one's a work trip. I wish it was a vacation. Uh, so I'm on the road, got caught up, and uh, but we'll be back later this afternoon. We will have uh, Jacob Warren and Cooper Mays on our YouTube channel to talk about um, being selected and not being selected to the SEC Media Days attendee list. And um, also, we will have Dante Stallworth later today on the YouTube channel. So here were my thoughts on uh, uh, Cooper Mays not being invited. It was a huge, monstrous red flag not to take Joe Milton, and um, I think you had to take him as far as who deserves it. I believe it's probably Cooper Mays with all he's done for the program. But it's not that big of an award. He'd rather get preseason All-SEC, and he's going to get that. We'll get to that a little bit later. But first, the most scandalous coaching firings in college football history, and this doesn't rank with the worst of the worst. However. It is something that is disturbing to say the very least. The hazing would still be happening in this uh, day and age of college football, including hazing with a sexual innuendo is the nice way I can put it. Caleb, were you surprised that Pat Fitzgerald was fired as quickly as he was? As of Friday, it was going to be a two-week suspension. Uh, Fitzgerald said in a statement, no more information has come up. However, Northwestern wasn't going to wait. They were going to make the move. I think some more information did come up, maybe that he's not aware of. And uh, suddenly 
one of the esteemed programs in Northwestern and the entire nation is looking for a head football coach. Tennessee's seen bad timing as far as having to hire a football coach, and that's secondary to what happened at Northwestern. But this is a bad time to have to hire a, a, a football coach, Caleb. No, no question about it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I was shocked they moved this quickly because I think Pat Fitzgerald is a rare commodity doing the job that could be done at Northwestern. And we're obviously going to talk a little bit later about how bad of a job that may or may not be. But I thought they would, because of all the work he had done there, I thought they would wait and try to see how much for more information to come out, see what he knew. I've, you know, I, I kind of, having covered a lot of these instances myself, I don't like to immediately cast aspersions specifically on the head coach because we don't know. A lot of times we aren't aware how involved or not they were, but you can still rate the scandal overall, regardless of whether or not you think the coach was involved. I mean, you know, so that there was the whole Baylor situation a few years ago. To this day, people debate how involved Art Bryles really was. A lot of people think he was railroaded in that situation. And, but whether or not he was, it was a scandal in itself. So I wonder how that applies with Northwestern. You're right. Not the worst scandal we've seen in college football, but maybe top 10 this century, would you say, in terms of scandal-ridden coach firings? Now, Caleb, it could be, but let's. it could get a whole lot worse. Um, we, we don't know the extent of this. The Joe Paterno thing just kind of started as a small seed that grew into a sapling that grew into an oak tree. So we don't know at this point. I thought they – I tend to believe it's going to be worse. And the reason I say that is because Pat Fitzgerald was a Northwestern guy through and through. I don't think they would pull the trigger unless they thought it was pretty serious. This is the equivalent of making a move like this if, if something like this were to happen with a Johnny Majors or Philip Fulmer because of their ties to the university. So I don't think you do it lightly. But that's all, let's all be grown-ups here, Caleb, for a second. They were 1-11 last year. There was a time when Northwestern looked like they were knocking at the door of the elite in the Big Ten. And had they done that and broken through, I don't think they're necessarily pulling the trigger over this scandal. I think the 1-11 is, is a big factor in this and probably makes it a lot easier to pull the Band-Aid all at once. Yeah, and particularly when Northwestern is somewhat like the Vanderbilt of the Big Ten, which is they're kind of happy to take the Big Ten check and be an academic school and focus on that. And being good in football is a nice bonus, but they're not going to let it, it. They're not going to let a scandal in football, particularly when they're one and eleven, like you said, drag them down, uh, drag down the university as a whole. I mean, Penn State with Joe Returno, one way worse scandal, but a different story altogether. But let's be honest, we all uh, probably agree that. Dave, I don't know how you felt, but when I saw the Penn State kids marching in in in, uh, in defense of Joe Paterno and put the statue back up, the university back in 2015, I mean, forget <clears throat> football. The school at that point, I'm like, I would never let my kid go to Penn State now. I mean, I'm sorry. I just think there's too much of a black mark on the school. I would never let my kid go there now because of that. So I, I, I think Northwestern doesn't want that happening. I've always wondered, and, and maybe we could look that up at some point, We've seen Nick Saban and the attendance at Alabama, not just football players, but we've seen Nick Saban have this huge impact on the number of, of players that have just attended the university, Caleb. But I, I wonder if Penn State was hit by overall enrollment and if they lost enrollment. I'm just talking about regular students, not even athletes. Now, if we look at some of the most scandalous coaching firings in college football history, it, it, we're talking about crimes against humanity. We're not talking about Alabama paid Antonio Leon, right? So we're on a different level. Okay, so I just want to make that very, very clear. We're talking about crimes against humanity. I can't possibly imagine one that's worse than Joe Paterno. To me, that's in a class all by itself. I mean, we're going to talk some different ones, but Caleb, isn't that just, that's another level, right? It's next level scandalous, next level criminal, and next level embarrassing that Joe Paterno probably had more support than any of the other people that were fired, and he probably committed the worst crime. And I've, 
I, I will never forget. I was just a fan at the time and I was a student. You were covering Tennessee. But the, my, my first foray into Joe Paterno was that 2000. I knew about him like everybody, but that 2006 Tennessee Penn State Outback Bowl. Remember that game, the Foster fumble where Joe Paterno coached the, coached the game sitting in the stands and got media coverage like he was had, had something to do with that win. And he carried himself like he was just some sort of godly saint. And I don't know, something stuck out to me about that, that like this guy just seems like a lying, fake snake that just, you know, considers himself a saint above reproach. I mean, almost like, you know, you talk about like the scandals in the Catholic church. And when you hear about certain like priests that feel like they're above reproach and the way the church handled it, I felt that I felt that with Penn State then. And then it turned out well, there were some similarities there with yeah. Joe Paterno. There was. So the others that we, we talk about as far as big time scandals would be uh, Hugh Freeze, obviously at Ole Miss. And did he pay players? Yeah. But he also paid escorts. So that was that was not a good one. The DJ and that scandal's Burke, worse than it looks on its face, by the way, because he also lied to players that they weren't going to get on probation so they couldn't enter the transfer portal in time. And that's why he, that's why the school threw Houston nut under the bus because they were just waiting until the transfer portal window, which was much narrower during that time passed. So the recruits would be stuck at Ole Miss. So he's a huge liar. Also, I, I, I honestly wasn't aware of that part makes it worse, but still we're not talking about the Joe Paterno level. And these are all kind of on that second level. Unless you're – we maybe, though, because the other part that makes it worse is I – look, there were rumors. It's I want to say it's unconfirmed, but a lot of people believe that Hugh Freeze was not ordering those escorts for himself. Let's just put it at that. That's disgusting, too, but allowing <laughs> a pedophile to be on your campus is – and have his own office and have access to the facilities at Penn State that for years – that to me is another level. DJ Durkin, those that don't know, pushed a player so hard. And for those on the message board having a little bit of trouble connecting to that, so my apologies for that. But DJ Durkin was a guy that pushed a player so hard and didn't seem to care whatsoever that he was suffering from uh, heat illnesses and uh, he the, the player passed away. And... Um, that obviously is something, and this came at a time too. This wasn't in the late '70s where you used to um, suck on a, a wet towel for water. You used to have uh, salt tablets. You didn't believe that you should have water. I remember Doug Bickey coming up to me in practice one time. He goes, he "said Water? We never had water at our practice." I mean, that sounds crazy now, but that was the situation. But this. DJ Durkin can't use that as a defense because that happened years later. You mentioned the Art Brawl situation and against, uh, I believe, sexual assault was happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And I do believe that he was involved in covering that up. There is some gray area. Um, and you mentioned the balls with the sexual assault lawsuit in 2015. Where did you want to go there? So it, it, it was, and I got the date wrong, 2016. <laughs> Tennessee was sued for the sexual assault. So do you the there was the AJ Johnson situation that happened in 2014 and uh, and in 2015 a women's advocacy group filed a sexual assault lawsuit against the university that detailed incidents going all the way back to the Peyton Manning incident in 1996. I mean that was one of the things they named. And so this is the one that this is the one that rehashed the Peyton Manning thing and for people like me that cover the Peyton Manning thing, I was thinking to myself, why is this getting rehashed? So this is the rehashment, so to speak, and why all that stuff came back up, right? Yes, yes, this was the rehashment. And as a matter of fact, the women's advocacy group was kind of getting mad that national media was so focused on the Peyton Manning thing because they're like, this is just a minor example, but there's so many greater examples. We're just using this as an example of the overall lawsuit. Because if you take the Peyton Manning thing in a vacuum, well, at that point, you know, there's so much gray area there that it, it doesn't really help their case. They just mentioned it as an example in the lawsuit. And this was, this is what I talked about the other day. Dre Bowles had, had transferred to Michigan State and he came out and he claimed, again, he claimed that he spoke to the police about the A.J. Johnson incident and that, that Butch Jones had ordered, I believe it was Kurt Majit and a couple other teammates to jump him for selling out a teammate. 
That's the rumor. And they they had to call this press conference. It was really bad. Butch Jones said the worst thing you could possibly say, which is this lawsuit is bad for recruiting, which is not the thing you say when you're dealing with law- sexual assault lawsuits. <laughs> um, and the only reason, I mean, the, I didn't, I thought there was a lot of gray area and I didn't think any coach should have been fired over it at the time. But I thought the way Butch Jones handled it publicly was so bad that had Tennessee not had a top 10 team with Josh Dobbs coming back and everybody back, I think many people would have been willing to pull the trigger on Butch Jones at that point. I just think there was a lot of hope for that 2016 season. And Interesting. Um, it, it would have been a hard time to pull the trigger, just like it was with Northwestern. And uh, if you want to talk about the Peyton Manning issue for a moment, um, do I believe either side completely? that it was just a mooning or that it was physical contact between Peyton Manning and the trainer. No, I don't believe either side fully. And uh, Jamie White had reached out to every media member, including me, to rehash this story on a number of different occasions. So I think there was an agenda driven there. By the way, hit subscribe and like. We greatly appreciate that. Brings more people into the channel. So, Caleb, I, I, I have trouble believing that either side is 100%. As with most situations like this, it is uh, somewhere in the middle. SEC Media Days last or next week will be broadcasting from there. And I told you last week it would be Joe Milton, Jacob Warren, and Omari Thomas. So here is what I was told. It had to be Joe Milton because if you don't take Joe Milton, and it's not unusual not to take a quarterback, even a senior, if he's a first-year starter. So you easily – could have taken, I don't know, a Cooper Mays, a Jacob Warren, and Omari Thomas. But it would have been a huge red flag not to take Joe Milton. Naturally, the media would have been like, well, there's Joe Milton. I mean, how could he not be there? This is this is a big deal. I mean, you would bring him if he was definitely the quarterback. Some people would go in that direction. So they didn't want to raise red flags, so they wanted to bring Joe Milton. Jacob Warren, who is on the ball report, brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden, was just more than a natural fit. He is not only one of the best speakers at Tennessee, he's one of the best speakers I've ever covered. He's also one of the best uh, speakers in the history of Tennessee football. He's comfortable behind a microphone. He's not going to say anything stupid, but he is going to give people something to write about. Phenomenal pick. Omari Thomas, you had to have a defensive guy. You had to have a defensive guy or you're basically – Saying to the SEC media, "Uh, this is still an offensive team. It's not a defensive team. So I certainly got the pick of Omari Thomas. If it was up to me, I wouldn't have played politics. I would have gone based off what you deserve with a little bit of newsiness. So I would have gone Joe Milton, Jacob Warren. I'm sorry. Yeah, Joe Milton, because he's the quarterback. Jacob Warren and Cooper Mays. Not because the latter two work with us. I just think they're the best representatives and have played the longest and been through the tough times, I would have taken those two guys and it would have been all three offense. People would have said, oh, Tennessee's still going to be a defensive team. I wouldn't care. Um, But I would take Joe Milton because I think it would help the pub of the program, even if I had doubts about him, which I don't think the Tennessee coaches do. But even if I had doubts about him, I would take Joe Milton. Um, because he's he's going to be the face of the program, Caleb. And he, I think it is a good sign, though, not all of this is orchestrated, that he's worked hard. Let's face it, if he showed up at the facility at 11 o'clock a.m. and left at 3 p.m. and didn't put in the work, they wouldn't be taking him. So that I think it's a good sign. It's not a definitive sign, but a good sign, Caleb. Yeah, and also let's uh, chicken or the egg this real quick. I think that for anybody that accuses us of saying Cooper Mays should have gone because he works with us, you picked Jacob Ward and Cooper Mays because you think they're the best representatives for Tennessee. So it's, it's, it's part of the reason you think they should go is why you picked them to be on the show or to be part of uh, affiliated with the show. So because of what you believe about them. So that part came first. Um, so yeah, thank you for for saying that actually, because I I thought that was a a couple of pretty good calls by Dave, but I didn't want to say that myself. (laughs) Yeah. So the thing that sticks out to me, there are a couple of things that stick out to me. Um, 
I understand the J you're right. The Joe Milton and the defensive guy, you got to have your quarterback and a defensive guy. If you're politicking and then Jacob Warren and Cooper Mays, I think the tiebreaker was, this is Jacob Warren's last year of eligibility. And technically Cooper Mays has another year of eligibility. I'll tell you what kind of threw me off though, Dave. And I, I don't know if you have any inside reporting on this. Picking Amari Thomas over Jalen McCullough stood out to me because Amari Thomas also has another year of eligibility and Jalen McCullough is in his final year and he started every year since 2019. Now, again, sometimes guys can just be really good, quiet players who aren't natural leaders in front of the camera. So maybe that's why. I mean, maybe it's because of the indictment that we're talking about. I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Both. You think it's both? Yeah. I don't think you take a guy with a, even if you believe he's 100% innocent with a, an assault issue hanging over his head. I don't think you take Jalen McCullough. I don't think it's even a question that you would take him. No, no, no. I would not take him. I would, um, um, I would take defensive player if I if my hand were forced. I guess Omari would be the guy. I don't think Omari is going to be very comfortable. I mean, we're talking about five hundred media members. The other thing you have to remember with Joe Milton is, you know, he had the "I don't lose in Florida" line that was at the Peyton Manning camp not long ago. So it's funny that your most high-profile guy and your quarterback, who's typically the leader, is by far the most likely of these three to say something because Joe has some brashness. You haven't seen Joe a lot in front of the media, but Joe has some brashness from what I'm told. He is the most likely of the three, and when I looked at the list yesterday, one of the more likely of all of the SEC invitees to say something a little bit brash, whether he slips up and says it, I don't lose in Florida like he did at the Peyton Manning camp, or whether that's just who he is. And that's fine. Some some people are like that. And if they back it up, got no problem with it. But uh, you open yourself up by not taking the three most deserving. Um, you open yourself up by taking Joe Milton to him saying something that you really don't want said. He's not going to come out and say, we're going to go undefeated this season and wear the balls and here we go. He's not going to say anything crazy like that. But could he say something that gets traction, Caleb? I think he could. I wouldn't be stunned to see that whatsoever. Oh, yeah, I, I think so too. And, I mean, it, it, the funny thing is I kind of laugh about that because I, I'm trying to remember the year, and I believe, you know what, it was 2012. Tyler Bray went to SEC media days with Derek Dooley and Tyler Bray got up on the podium and guaranteed that Tennessee is going to win the SEC title this year, even though they were five and seven the year before and spoiler alert, they went five and seven the next year and Derek Dooley got fired. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that the, the question is, do you really, I, I thought about this, you know, it's funny. We, we talk about Joe, the brashness of Joe Milton and then kind of the level-headed leadership vocalness of Jacob Warden. Wouldn't you rather kind of the roles be a little bit reversed? Wouldn't you rather your quarterback kind of be the level-headed kind of leader and maybe your tight end or defensive lineman be the brass guy that does all the talking when they go? Oh, yeah. I've always believed that pitchers and quarterbacks should be level-headed and not get up or not get down. And that's why I thought Hendon Hooker was so cool last year. He did have the one incident. It was later in the year. Who was getting chippy with him? Was it was, And he got chippy on the goal line back. I'm okay. Was Florida, wasn't it early in the year? Wasn't it Florida? <clears throat> Man, I thought there was an incident later in the game too, where somebody caught him on a camera. And I'm okay with that. With occasionally, if somebody gets in your face, be it Florida or whoever, you just don't want your guy being brash and talking stuff and throwing beer bottles at jet skis and all. This. I know I'm combining two stories, but with Dollar Break, I mean, you don't want you don't want all that stuff, Caleb. Right. I and Joe like, Milton hasn't done any of that, to be fair, but. <laughs> He hasn't. He's good. Every It's not going to go in that direction. Hit the subscribe button. Be sure and like if you haven't to this point. Speaking of my man, Joe Milton, who everybody knows I love, and I got no question about him starting the whole season. Ain't no Nico. Nico, who? Yeah, I don't even know how to pronounce that name because people give me a hard time that I'm too hard on Joe Milton. Joe Milton, kudos, my man. Fourth-rated quarterback. In the SEC, admittedly, a down year for quarterbacks in the SEC. 
because you lose guys like Bryce Young, Will Levis, who got a lot of pub, Anthony Richardson, who was at SEC Media Days last year as well. So you tend to have this this weird flow at SEC Media Days where there'll be like six or seven, eight quarterbacks, and then the next year there'll be like two. And I don't know if that's coincidence or what, but it seems to happen that way, and it's happening this way for for Tennessee. And uh, Joe Milton is one of the higher-rated quarterbacks in the SEC, partly because of what he's done in in his passing camps, in games, in his ability to show off his big arm. But part of that is because some other quarterbacks have moved along. It's it's unfortunate because I like Joe Milton better than Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. But if we were doing this rating with some sort of combination of last year and both, he could be like seven or eighth on the list because he would be behind Bryce Young. But in this particular case, he's the fourth rated quarterback in the SEC. I will go ahead and tell you this. This is a guarantee. Will you please write this one down? If Joe Milton at the end of the year is rated fourth or better as a quarterback in the SEC among his peers, Tennessee will be 10 and 2. Tennessee will be a top five. Notice I gave myself an out for the college football playoff, but they will be a top five team at the end of the year, either in the college football playoff or knocking at the door. They'll be at least 10 and two if he's a top four quarterback in the SEC. Boom, done. There, there's, in my mind, there's no argument. You can argue it, but in my mind, I'm settled on that one. Yeah, I'm going to argue it. I think because I think Joe Milton's going to have to do it. If Joe Milton's just number four, look, he's going to have to be Hendon Hooker level to beat Alabama or Georgia again. So if he's number four, Tennessee's losing to Alabama and Georgia. They're losing to both teams. If that's the case, then there's the issue of they still have to visit Florida and Kentucky. And it, if he's just fourth, they could lose to one of those. So, and I'm looking at the teams. I'm looking at the QBs ahead of him. KJ Jefferson is number one, and I understand that. But I'm sorry, I am not a believer in Dan Enos. I don't think he's that good of an offensive coordinator. So, I think Sam Pittman massively downgraded. So, I think KJ Jefferson is going to be a downgrade. So, at that point, you've got Jaden Daniels and Devin Leary at Kentucky. Look, I, I I'm not as high on Devin Leary as a lot of other people are either. I think Liam Cohen is a great pickup for Kentucky. Bringing him back as offensive coordinator is brilliant for Kentucky, but they're still going to be, they're still going to get by on their defense. And that's going to be the concern. So look, if Joe Milton is not top three, I see Tennessee losing to Alabama, Georgia, and either Florida, Missouri, or Kentucky. One of the three. I'm so down on Florida, Missouri, and Kentucky of those three I guess I'm highest on Kentucky because I think that they'll kind of get back to basics and not push so much in Will Levis's face but uh, that brings up an interesting topic of a conversation which quarterback are you most concerned about if you're a Tennessee football fan we'll tell you right after this and there's that Rattler guy that we got to bring up I know a lot of people don't even want to hear his name in uh, two minutes uh, we'll have more, but uh, listen, I think if Joe Milton is considered one of the top four quarterbacks in the nation, I think that's a pretty good start and pretty good respect for not only Josh Heupel, uh, but also for uh, Tennessee's system. And when when I look at Milton, you, you see a lot of the ability, but again, I go back to there's been one statement. We would hear stuff. Fred Watts said we would hear stuff. There's been one statement by Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports that questioned um, whether or not Nico was worth it. Uh, That's been really the only outlandish statement about Tennessee's quarterback situation. I would have heard, somebody would have heard, that Joe Milton is not quite ready, whereas I've heard nothing but good things about Joe Milton. So I'm not I'm not surprised he's in the top four with his quarterback class in the SEC. I'm not either. I'm just saying he 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 needs to be higher as the year goes on. I don't blame him. I don't blame Brad Crawford at two four seven for putting him at four. But every time Josh Heupel has coached in the SEC now as an offensive coordinator or head coach for four years, two years at Missouri, two years at Tennessee. All four of those years, his quarterback was a top 
two quarterback in the SEC, I would say. And Drew Locke was arguably the best quarterback in the SEC those two years in 2016 and 2017 when he was there. And then Joe, and then Hendon Hooker was definitely top two the last two years. I argue the best last year, but you know, somehow Stetson Bennett got the invite to New York over Hendon Hooker. So if Joe Milton is not is down to number four, I mean, Dave, that's not a mild drop off at quarterback play if he's down at number four in a bad in a year of bad SEC quarterback play when Hendon Hooker was number one in a year of great SEC quarterback play. So I mean, we're talking. So, let me stop you for a second. You think Hendon Hooker was better than Bryce Young last year? As a player, Bryce Young was better, but just in, I'm saying just in terms of production. If I'm ranking quarterbacks just in terms of production last year, you, you have to put Hendon Hooker ahead of Bryce Young. I don't think now. Look, I would take Bryce Young over Hendon Hooker. I that 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 part's very clear. I'd take Bryce Young over Hendon Hooker. But I think just in terms of I'm rank, I'm looking at this ranking in terms of production. So Hooker's production did outdo Bryce Young's production last year. Not Bryce Young's fault. A lot of other factors in play, and based on Heupel's system. I think any quarterback, if, if you go from number one in the SEC to production to number four in the SEC in production, I mean, that's a huge drop off at quarterback play. Well, I don't think it's going to be as huge this year because I don't think the quarterbacks are as good. So I think one and four could be a lot closer than one and well, four that's, last year. Well, that's why four – that's what I mean, though. Because the SEC quarterbacks are worse this year – going to from one in a year where the SEC quarterbacks are loaded to four in a year when the SEC quarterbacks are not as good, that's an even bigger drop-off at that point. Yeah, but you're – okay, here's here's the best way I can describe my thoughts on it. If you got number one Bryce Young, and I thought he was on a level by himself, even though statistically Hendon Hooker may have been better, Bryce Young got them out of all kinds of problems. If you go a step down to Hendon Hooker, who's been one of the most productive quarterbacks in SEC football history in that one season, and to me, there was a massive step down to three. I think that the four guys that we're getting ready to talk about could all be at a at a high level, but maybe not reach what Hendon or Bryce Young has done. So We'll get to that right after this. Give me two minutes, and I'll say the quarterbacks that Tennessee should be most concerned about. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Two minutes off the sports. Sun, sand, and salt water? The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we wanna be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. Don't forget Tennessee Cider Company. Use the promo code TNCiderCompany.com. 
use the promo code hat you'll get some free swag how awesome is that he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker remote today apologize for that but doesn't mean we're not bringing the info so here we go um tennessee i think should take some pride in that joe milton is ranked fourth among the quarterbacks in the sec i think that's pretty strong coming out of the gate i think that's strong considering that tennessee's own coaches didn't think that he would be the starter in 2021 i also think the old miss thing rears its ugly head from time to time but as far as quarterbacks that will be in the sec east should Tennessee be most concerned about Devin Leary, Spencer Rattler, or Carson Beck this season? So let me start with Devin Leary. What are your thoughts on Devin Leary? Should that be a concern for the Vols, and how big should it be a, a concern? We'll save that guy named Spencer Rattler, who was a concern last year in October, November, in the Columbia collapse, we'll save him for last because I think he's obviously a concern. Devin Leary, your thoughts? So I'm suspicious of Devin Leary because of the damage he did in the ACC in 2021, but I think it was in the ACC, so it's hard to know what to make of it. But so you question his competition. You also question his health. I mean, Dave, how many times have we seen quarterbacks or any position come back from an injury and it's just they're never right after an injury again? And so I'm suspicious with that with Devin Leary. The thing that works in Devin Leary's favor that I think Tennessee should be nervous about is, again, Liam Cohen is back as Kentucky's offensive coordinator. And I think that's a huge deal for them because he's – look, he's a genius offensive coordinator. You can say whatever you want about him, but he's a great offensive coordinator. And him being back in Kentucky is a huge deal. And I think that if Devin Leary is healthy and if he's right, Cohen's going to bring out the best in him. I mean, there's just – there's no way to debate that. Cohen is going to bring out the best in him. So I, I that's why I that's why I think Tennessee should be scared of Devin Leary. No, that's fair. Okay, so let's go to Carson Beck. Do we know much about Carson Beck to this point at all? No, we just hear what George is promoting about Carson Beck. And again, how many times Stetson Bennett was their best quarterback and he was the least promoted. Every five George has had, you know, five star after five star commit since Kirby Smart's been there. And none of them have worked out, and then Stetson Bennett did. So I feel like the more hype a Georgia quarterback gets, the less we should believe in them at this point. No, I and I think the Stetson Bennett thing still to this day is a is a funny thing to me. I mean, how well do you have to play in key situations to be considered an upper level quarterback? It's it's almost as if that guy's just never going to be considered an upper upper level quarterback, no matter what he does. And the next guy coming in is going to have more talent and all this. And he might Carson Beck might be that guy, but. We don't know that yet. And there's an intangible in being in the fourth quarter that I would take over arm strength. I don't know about you any day of the week. I would take the intangibles and arm strength before I would take the tangibles of throwing the football 85 yards any day of the week. I'm sorry, the intangibles of fourth quarter play. Excuse me. I think I misspoke. Yeah, I, I agree. I would take the – I would absolutely take the the – intangibles in the in the arm strength in the fourth quarter and we know Stetson Bennett had the intangibles whatever else you want to say about him at that point he had the intangibles I mean this is kind of the need to go back in history a little bit this is the going from T Martin to Casey Clawson isn't it now I I, I think you and I both agreed that Casey Clawson had a better arm than T Martin probably didn't he in terms of accuracy much better arm oh accuracy yes I thought you were referring to arm strength yes yes much more accurate um but there was T Martin did have like this kind of fourth quarter intangible thing where he, you know, never really panicked with his team in 98, 99 and really rallied around them. And I think that, you know, I, I think Clawson was a better quarterback, but I think T Martin was able to rally his team just a little bit more than Casey Clawson. And that, and you saw that. And you wonder if this, if Stetson Bennett to Carson Beck is going to be like going from T Martin to Casey Clawson in that way. Well, and so, the thing that always impressed me about T is you'd kind of forget he could run until he really needed to in the fourth quarter. Did you ever notice that? It just seemed like his best runs were in the second half or late in the game, and you kind of forgot that, hey, he was he was a runner, and indeed he was. So Spencer Rattler, how good can he be? So let's go three different levels. Let's go starter, good, all SDC, 
And then Heisman Trophy contender like Hendon Hooker was knocking on the door. He didn't get invited to Atlanta or New York. But uh, Carson Beck, how could, good can he be if I gave you those three levels? Carson? You mean, you mean Spencer Rattler, not Carson Beck? Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler has the talent, has the talent to be knocking on the door of the Heisman Trophy. I'm going to be honest with you, like Hendon Hooker last year. However, he's got the worst offensive coordinator in the history of offensive coordinators coaching him this year in Dow Logan's. And and I thought Marcus Satterfield last year was bad. I mean, it took Marcus Satterfield until the end of November to realize how to use Spencer Rattler. That was embarrassing on its own. Dowell Logan's is worse. And I will I reserve all my despite I, I reserve all my disdain for him based on the time he became an offensive coordinator for the Titans in 2012 and 2013. I've never forgiven him for those two years and he and him and Mike Munchak's constant belief in Jake Locker, which was just an embarrassment. And he's failed everywhere he's been as an offensive coordinator. He was with the Bears after that. He was with the Dolphins after that. He was with the Jets after that. Failed at all of those spots. And he's never been a college offensive coordinator. So I got zero faith in Dowell Logans. I think uh, Ray Golf, Tennessee, should love the fact that Georgia hired Ray Golf. They should more love the fact that South Carolina hired Dowell Logans. Yeah, I, I still, from the college coaches I talk about, despite the finish that South Carolina had, which included that game against Tennessee, a win against Clemson, I still hear that college coaches are not very high on the assistant coaching staff that has been assembled there in South Carolina. I mean, maybe they're young guys who don't have friends in the coaching community, but right now, if you ask around in the coaching community, there's not a lot of great things that are being said Caleb, about the assistant coaches on South Carolina staff, whereas I think Shane Beamer's goal is to grow himself into a Philip Fulmer, a really good recruiter, kind of a hip Philip Fulmer, so to speak, but worried about recruiting first, and he was a GA at Tennessee, but I don't hear great things about the staff at South Carolina, whereas I thought Tennessee, if you want to make the Philip Fulmer comparison, had great coordinators, very good, a great coordinator in David Cutliffe, a good coordinator in John Chavis. I think Dan Brooks was defensive line coach. He was fantastic. Steve Caldwell was fantastic as well. There was a lot of questions about Larry Slade, who was a defensive backs coach at the time. On the offensive side, uh, if you want to go back, you had Randy Sanders as the running backs coach, but essentially he was an other quarterback mind, another OC type that was in the room. And then you had Pat Washington at the receiver position that I thought a lot of people had very understandable questions about. So, um, and, and I don't think that South Carolina staff is even that good. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I don't see it right now. Yeah, you know, about, funny enough, the way Shane Beamer's doing it, a comparison that actually I think might be a little bit better is the last two years of Butch Jones at Tennessee and Derek Dooley when he was at Tennessee. And the reason I bring those two up is, didn't it seem like Derek Dooley was just hiring to hire and didn't really have an agenda or direction in his mind when he hired his staff during those years? Well, he hired his buddy who hadn't been in coaching before. Um, I thought that kind of said enough in Chuck Smith, and I'm not knocking Chuck Smith, but why would you go and hire a guy who's been in the NFL, was about to get let loose by the Jets, and um, was really like a specialist, a pass-rushing specialist coach. I, to me, that was a monstrous red flag. Do you remember that hire at the time? Wasn't that awesome? Oh, I remember that hire. Yes. And then they had a bad falling out, too, <laughs> after that. But, yeah, I, I remember that one. And then there was also the Sal Sinceri hire, which I know that Tennessee was toxic at the time and nobody really wanted the job because they knew Derek Dooley was a dead man walking. But really, Sal Sinceri was where you went? You couldn't have gotten somebody better than that? And so, I mean, that that there was there seemed to be no thought. And then Butch Jones was – so he forces out John Jancic to bring in Bob Shoup, who clashed with the secondary – or who clashed with the defensive – position coaches and then half the staff leaves the next year and Butch Jones again just throws a hodgepodge of people together and Tennessee goes four and eight I think Shane Beamer's doing that not to that extreme but he just doesn't seem to have an agenda behind he seems to you're right he seems to want to be hands-off hire a coach and then just let them do their thing and have no idea of a direction he wants to go at least Abo Sweeney as a CEO 
He's like, I want a direction of this offense. I want to do the air raid now because nobody in the ACC is running it. So let me go get Garrett Riley to do it and run it. And he he's thinking forward from that way. Shane Beamer was just throwing a hodgepodge staff together. Yeah, I agree. And that's what the coach, the coaching community completely agrees with Caleb Calhoun when you ask about Shane Beamer. I mean, in, in, in the best of worlds, Shane Beamer is able to hire two great coordinators and ride this thing out being a great recruiter. But there's some problems with that. I don't know that a great coordinator will want to work for Shane Beamer. I mean, the coordinator might be older than him, and I don't think they have the faith that he will be a great um, head coach slash recruiter. Do they know they're going to be working with top flight talent? I mean, when you came to Tennessee, when Philip Fulmer was the head coach, you knew that you were going to have top flight talent, right? That made a lot of these decisions a lot easier if you were going to make the move from another school. So I don't I don't know that they have that now, and I don't know that they're ever going to have that under Shane Beamer. It's it's tough for him. It's kind of like he's pulling from both sides, Caleb, in terms of what he can be. Can, can he manage his team while still being the guy who is Bruce Perlish, if I may say so, who is raw, raw, let's go? but at the same time is one of the top recruiters in the nation. I think that's asking an awful lot of uh, Shane Beamer right now. I feel like he's pulled in a ton of different directions. So worst jobs in uh, college football. That's something that Caleb Calhoun has uh, written about. One is in the SEC. I'm going to add my thoughts to be back in two minutes. Stick with us. Hit that like button. Subscribe if you haven't yet. And support our advertisers, our sponsors. We greatly appreciate that. With Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker off the Oak Sports. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. There's With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vassie Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vassie, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassies, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Worst job in college football. Welcome back to the program. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. What is the worst job in college football? Because this comes up with the unfortunate, very terrible situation at Northwestern. And um, I never thought that was a great job. I thought that Northwestern tried to go all in. Frankly, Caleb, in terms of building a program, I thought it got a little too big, and that's why you see something like this happen. In case you don't know, they have one of the best training facilities 
in the entire nation. But worst coaching jobs in college football. What do you got? Start me from 10, bring me down, and I'm going to tell you if I agree or disagree. Okay, so starting at 10, and people are forgetting this because Deion Sanders is there, but it's Colorado. Colorado has dealt with the fallout of the Gary Barnett scandal in 2005 and has never really recovered from that, nor have they recovered from USC reemerging as a program, which happened under Pete Carroll, obviously, in 2001. And those two things are connected in the sense that you've, you brought this up to me, and I didn't even think about this until you told me. Colorado's program under Bill McCartney was built on going into Compton and Southern California and getting kids out of there. The minute USC reemerged as a program, they kept those kids in California. Colorado lost their recruiting base. There's no real pipeline there. And unless Deion Sanders can use his splash to get people, it's just a really bad and hard job to win at now. No, I, I agree. Now, NIL could change all of these on this list, right? In five years, this could be a different conversation. But what we think right now, I totally agree with you. Colorado is a tough job, and that's why he took it, because he wasn't going to get offered an incredible job. All right, South Carolina. You've got it number nine. That's gonna. We've got a lot of South Carolina fans that listen to the program. Why South Carolina? So I do expectations relative to possibility. <laughs> and South Carolina had back-to-back Hall of Fame coaches. Lou Holtz never did better than nine and three. Now Steve Spurrier did win the East and then had three straight 11 and two seasons when the East was at its absolute worst during that time. And I think many people have kind of agreed that that's the max of what can be done there. Steve Spurrier didn't finish in the top 25 more times than he did at South Carolina. And here's the problem with South Carolina. And again, and I could change this. I don't know if South Carolina will have that, but you're stuck in the S you're, you're one, you're playing second fiddle to Clemson and recruiting in your home state already, which is an issue. But then on top of that, you're stuck in the SEC. So your competition is way more fierce. And the combination of those two things makes it really hard. Even though there's elite talent in the state of South Carolina, there's not enough to go around for South Carolina and Clemson. So you split that, plus you have to play in the SEC. It just makes it too difficult. Yeah, it's just hard for me imagine to imagine South Carolina climbing from where they are and being a very, very respectable SEC East program with with Georgia not only being what they are, but their recruiting base, with Tennessee having the historic ability to win championships and recruit at a high level, and then Florida being where they are. It's just it's really difficult for me to imagine South Carolina overcoming those three programs on a year-in and year-out basis. Arizona State you had before we get to another SEC program that has a tie to Tennessee. So Arizona State's on this list because I tracked and their expectations are delusional. Did you know that every the last eight coaches at Arizona State have been fired coming off either a winning season or a bowl appearance? And that includes, by the way, a former Tennessee defensive coordinator, Larry Marmy. And right. they fired him in 1991. They fired Bruce Snyder two years after he went 11-1. to For those who don't know, when Tennessee won the national title, I think Arizona State finished third that year going 11-1. And two years later, they fired Bruce Snyder, who led them to that. They have these massive expectations, but it's not a great job. Arizona State doesn't care that much about football, so it's not that intriguing. Arizona's not a bad football state overall. It's like 23rd in terms of NFL talent, where it comes from, but you're splitting that with Arizona. And on top of that, the California schools can come in and take it. So I, the expectations don't match the possibilities at Arizona State. Then a couple of SEC schools. So if you want to match expectations with what's actually going to happen, you've got Ole Miss at number seven. Slight pushback here. I don't know that Ole Miss, their expectations are nearly as high as the Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee's, LSU's, Texas A&M's of the world. I think to some extent, football on a Saturday in Oxford is something fun to do. And unless you screw that up, which would mean, I guess, no sport coats or no cocktail dresses, I think that Ole Miss is okay being relevant. They fired David Cutcliffe a year after winning the East because of one losing season. But, I can, was, give, but I can give you a little inside info. They told David Cutcliffe they wanted a significant coaching change, and he fought for his guys. So I don't think he would have lost his job, but he would have had another year. 
But what gave them the right to tell Cutcliffe they wanted a significant coaching change? I mean, they uh, with the staff. You know, he they went ten and three in two thousand three. And by the way, if Eli Manning doesn't trip over his offensive lineman's foot, Ole Miss wins the East that year because they beat LSU. Or if Ole Miss has a semi decent kicker, they win the East that or the West, excuse me, the West that year. So I just and 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 you know, then they fired Houston Nutt, then they fired Matt Luke. I mean, they've just they've. They, they want to recreate the glory days of the Johnny Vault years in the early 60s. And I'm going to say this with Ole Miss, and I brought it up. However you feel about things, when college football integrated was right when Ole Miss stopped being a powerhouse program, and it had to do with their embracement of the Confederacy all the way until the 2010s. You can feel however you feel about it. It didn't sit well with a lot of recruits. No, very true. Um, and I've, I've been there when the flags were still flying. Uh, the rebel flag was still flying in, within the stadium. Uh, Missouri, I, I would I would think that Missouri's a worse job than Ole Miss, and um, but I don't I don't think Ole Miss is as bad of a job as you do. Again, I go back to Missouri. Whether they're in, they stay in, uh, whether they're in the East West or this new no uh, division sort of thing they got going on. How's Missouri going to top the greatest programs in some cases history? Um, of uh, Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. I mean, how did they ever overcome that? I just don't see it being a thing. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be stunned if they went to the Super Conference at one point and Missouri got left out. They don't have the the same handshake agreements that, say, a Vanderbilt does, that you're never going to get left out of the SEC because they're new to the SEC, relatively new. I think... I think Missouri could be a non-factor across the board in college football by 2035. I think it's a terrible job, a terribly tough place to win. They don't do much to me, for me at all. Yeah, it's funny because they're trying, you know, the SEC is trying to market this Arkansas-Missouri rivalry in football right now, like this border war, because the states are somewhat culturally similar, you know, divided by the Ozarks. But the problem with that rivalry is that, Dave, you know, this Arkansas can go into Texas and get some rejects from texas and texas a&m which is enough to build a pretty decent football program they can go into louisiana maybe and get a couple of lsu rejects that those rejects are still pretty darn good and so they can actually build a decent program with that missouri can't do that and gary pinkle maxed out what could be done at missouri but everybody forgets when missouri was doing that and playing so well that was after nebraska had fallen off and the big 12 north was just the most garbage division in all of college football during that time during the mid-2000s Counting down, you've got number five, Texas Tech, a terrible job. It looked like that was going to be a really good job when Mike Leach was there before Craig James got involved. Um, that that number five, uh, it surprised me to see it on the list just because I hadn't thought about it. I can't argue that it's number five on your list. Yeah, so the problem with Texas Tech is you think, oh, they're in Texas, they can recruit. They're in Lubbock. All the talents in East Texas. Who wants to go – Dave, tell me, who who lives in the Dallas, Houston, San Antonio area wants to go out to Lubbock to play football? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. Nobody. And also, Texas Tech is cheap. I firmly believe they sided with Craig James's son because they wanted to get out of having to pay that contract extension that they gave Mike Leach. And they would rather be cheap than win. So I, I would encourage coaches to never take that job. Vanderbilt. Now, I will say this. The expectations are low. But um, maybe James Franklin raised them a little bit. But you had them number four on your list. Why? Yes. So I I did say there's a long leash at Vanderbilt. And it did propel James Franklin to a higher coaching job. That's usually not going to happen. I consider Vanderbilt, Duke, and Stanford all like in a similar playing field. But Duke's in the ACC. Stanford's in the Pac-12. You can win at those schools at the lower level. Vanderbilt, it's just almost impossible. And then on top of that, I, I, the college football experience at Vanderbilt, if you're a head coach, is miserable. I mean, I've yeah. never seen a more apathetic program if you're coaching there, honestly. Nebraska, you have at number three, which would really make some Cornhusker fans mad, but you're right. That was a place they found a, a little niche of taking these undersized walk-ons and growing them into big Cornhuskers, and, and that worked. That ain't working anymore. There's just too much of a difference between – a two-star prospect and a four-star prospect or a three and a five at just at, at some point one dude six foot five 325 pounds naturally 
and the other dude's six foot two, 260 pounds and has to beef up the best he can. I totally agree. I, I know that's part of your reasoning, but there's more. Yeah, the worst jobs in college football are the ones where you're at top 10 programs that honestly aren't in places where they're capable of being top 10 programs anymore because they expect you to be a top 10 program, but Nebraska is not even a top 25 program in terms of what they can be. And so the expectation doesn't match the reality and it's going to take an insane level of creativity to get it back to where they are. So yeah, I think you go to Nebraska. I mean, you're going to Nebraska. How many different coaches have tried a new offensive approach at Nebraska between Mike Riley, Bill Callahan, Scott Frost, they've all failed, like miserably failed, spectacularly failed, honestly. And if Scott Frost couldn't be the guy, with his ties to Nebraska and is somewhat innovative. He's not at a Josh Heupel or Lane Kiffin level as far as uh, in innovative offenses. Is If he can't succeed there, I don't know where they go moving forward. You got Northwestern, who we talked about. There are high expectations at Northwestern. There's a reason that Northwestern, and it was a big story with Pat Fitzgerald, and it happened during a slow news time, but there was a reason it was a lead story on ESPN. It's because a lot of ESPN cats went there. So they expect a lot out of that school. And um, now you would have to follow Fitzgerald. And now you're going to have to deal with a modicum, not not the same amount of the Penn State thing where you said you wouldn't even want your, your son or daughter to go there, not even football, but just go there. They're going to have to deal with some of that as well. So I think that's significant. But Notre, number one is Notre Dame. And it looks insane on the list. It looks insane, but it is. And I, I want to hear your reasoning. And I've read the column that's on offthehooksports.com. But here's the big reason to me. Two things coaches want control of. At least partial control. At least strong control. Admissions. There needs to be a Judy or a Bob that you can call in the admissions office and say, I really need to get this guy in. He's close. Notre Dame, no. They don't help you at all. As far as... Punishment. Okay, let's say you're Kirby Smart and your 18th player or 80th player just got caught speeding in the Atlanta area. You want to be able to call and say, he's really, really good. You can't do that at Notre Dame. You have no control over discipline or admissions. And college coaches will tell you, including Brian Kelly, who went to LSU, that is why that is such a terrible job. And it may be beautiful, and the campus is awesome, and it's got a lot of tradition. But right now, unless they change those things, which they are good in a heartbeat, it is just not a an elite job anymore, which sounds insane for anybody over the age of 30, 35. Oh, yeah. It's not. And it, it doesn't help that – so you t you have those hamstring some limits, but then you have a delusional fan base and administration that thinks they're the best job in America – and here's what they think. I'm, I'm dead serious about this, Dave. Have you ever heard anybody make the case for Notre Dame as a good job now? What do they say? They say two things I brought up yesterday on my delusional overrated factors for a program. They'll brag about being on NBC every week. Well, every college football program is on national TV every, every week now. So that doesn't matter anymore. And then they say they can recruit national because the Notre Dame brand will reach out to a kid in California. No, it won't. No, it won't brands don't recruit and Tennessee made this mistake for 10 years with their hires. They thought the Tennessee brand alone could recruit. You can't recruit on your brand. You have to recruit on what you can sell a player for his future and the excitement that they can enjoy on campus. Notre Dame doesn't think they have to do that. Well, brands need to be like uh, Nike or Adidas or something like that. Something that's relevant. They're like Puma. I mean, their their brand used to be relevant. It's not relevant anymore. So if you no know, high school athlete remembers them winning a national was alive when they won a national title. Some of their parents weren't alive. When was their last national title? Eighty nine. Yeah, eighty nine. Some of their parents weren't alive. Almost. I mean, that's not an incredible stretch. If you have a child that's sixteen and now he's seventeen and he's going through the recruiting process. Yeah, that's, that's not crazy. <laughs> it's not a huge reach. It's not. It's not. That's a very good point. And they don't want to accept that they're going the route of Georgia Tech or Pittsburgh, who were yeah, – as 
You know this, Dave. The, Georgia Tech was the essence of football in the South in the 1920s and the 1930s. And Pittsburgh was the essence of football in the nation during that time. And outside of a nice little spike with Johnny Majors when he landed, when Tony Dorsett landed in his lap, Pittsburgh has been nothing in college football since then. Yep. Agreed. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the hook sports on the road. And we'll be on the road next week for SEC media days. Cannot wait. That'll be a whole lot of fun. Have a fantastic morning, day, afternoon, whenever you're watching. Don't forget to turn those notifications on. Take that few seconds to turn the notifications on. And you'll know that Dante Stallworth coming down the pike, the ball report with Jacob Warren and the ball report with Cooper Mays also as well. We thank Bassey Lawn and Garden and City Heating and Air Conditioning for that. For Caleb, I'm Dave off the Oak Sports.